Hey everybody, it's Raghu. I'm back with Mind Rolling and I'm with Amber Ray. Amber, pleased hey. to have you with us, me. Thank you for coming. Of course. Thanks for having me. So uh, Amber uh, has a wonderful new book called, Cho- called Choose Wonder Over Worry, Moving Beyond Fear and Doubt to Unlock Your Full Potential. Uh, now, to me, the book goes beyond the archetypical self-help, although it is in that category, because of your wonderful insight, Amber. There's some really great, great, great things in this book that we can talk mm. about. Uh, so, But before we do that, uh, I'd like you to just... So one of the things I always do, and the people who listen to Mind Roll, they probably, Jesus, he's going to talk about that again. Uh, but... <laughs> I like to get from people what it was that helped them to realize they are not their ego, mind, Mm. senses, that there's something else going on that maybe gives us the possibility of being happy and fulfilled in the way that society did not suggest was possible. So triggers. Now, and I do know yours are very intense and mm. uh you know with your mom and all of that but i would like you if you can to to go through that scenario because that's uh, and anything else that contributed to who you are today yeah yeah i'll start with my childhood and the story about my dad um which i think is what you're referring to but maybe your so birth my, no your mother with your oh birth. yeah let's go way back right. <laughs> let's go way back so Good point. Um, So my mom, when she didn't even know she was pregnant, when she was in a car accident and the vehicle she was in, they, you know, stopped at a stop sign, went to the right. And somehow, I guess a truck came out of nowhere and the car she was in went underneath the truck (laughs) and um, took off the top of the vehicle. And she luckily was leaned back because she was sleeping. It was late at night. Otherwise, she probably would have been gone. And the um, rear view or the, the mirror hit her in the face and, and knocked her out. And actually, when they arrived at the scene of the accident, they thought she was dead. And the paramedics were preparing a, a body bag, she later found out, to put her in this body bag to take her on. And, and she moved. And so that's when they, you know, rechecked her vitals and it turned out that she was breathing, her heart was beating. So they rushed her to the emergency room and I guess she had lost an enormous amount of blood, was getting all these different transfusions. And she wakes up days later to find out, A, she survived the crash and B, she's five weeks pregnant. Unreal. And, you know, the doctors, because they didn't know she was pregnant because of all the radiation and the blood transfusions and just the impact and trauma and stress of the crash, they were you know, they thought you're probably going to lose your baby. You know, she may not make it to term or if she does, there actually could be some severe health consequences. And so my mom being the like fiery, fierce, badass woman that she is, but her jaws wired shut because of the the accident. I heard later, she's like, you know, she's like, you better damn well believe my baby's going to be healthy and she's going to make it to term. And she just has this, you know, this, this knowingness about her. And you know, lo and behold, almost eight months later, she brings a baby girl into the world. And that was me. And she said that as soon as she saw me, she knew that I was this amber ray of golden light and that I was, I was here to be a light for the world and I was a light for her life. And so that's how she named me. And, you know, she always told me that story as, as a kid to remind me of, you know, whenever I was going through a hard time, whenever I, you know, just becoming a child, bullying, th- you know, things that happen, um, reminding me that I'm a light and I'm here to be a light for the world and to keep following the light. Mm. What a story. Jeez. And it, uh, and it continued with your father. Yeah. That so it's, there's this theme of car dramatic, accidents. Very where, dramatic stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so with my father, he, again, another car accident. So he was driving both times, which is interesting. He walked away from the first accident uh, without a scratch, which people couldn't believe. 
And the second time, so this was three years later, he decides, you know, they were young when my mom got pregnant. She was 21 years old. And he had this dream of becoming this rock star and decided to leave to pursue his dream of music and got caught up in the sex, drugs, rock and roll, living that lifestyle, not going to face myself. You know, I'm just going to like, yeah, that was, that was him and decided to get behind the wheel of a car this time under the influence and fell asleep at the car. Um, and his best friend was actually in the passenger seat getting married the next day. And so the car went off a highway overpass again, under a truck it's like, what's happening? And the person sitting in the passenger seat was immediately decapitated, um, died at the scene. So I, I always think of like, that could have been my mom had she have not been tilted back and sleeping. Um, and so he died immediately. And, and my dad, who wasn't wearing a seatbelt, somehow was thrown to the back seat of the car and never regained full consciousness. And he was in a coma for a year um, in the care center until I was 12 years old. And so between the ages of, of three and 12, uh, he was kind of this vegetable. And I think, you know, I didn't, I don't remember having a relationship with him. I was so young, but I remember what it feels like the absence of him and the wondering about the choices he had made, who he'd become, why he had left us. And that just had me so curious about the human condition, human experience, and led me to begin studying psychology and just... Mm humans at around, at around 11. I remember getting my first psychology book when I was about 11 and just understanding like, why do we do what we do? Mm. Who are we? You know, wow. those sorts of things. And who, uh, and you, of course, uh, graduated uh, in a way to some other teachers that uh, you spoke to you. Who, who were some of those teachers? The teachers, well, this, I feel like, uh, I remember it was like psychology textbooks. And then I came across chicken soup for the soul, oh, which really? was like heartfelt stories. I remember as a kid, just being so drawn into these, these stories often, which were a lot of actually tr quite traumatic uh, stories and feeling so connected to them. I remember, you know, I remember stories of loss and stories of grief and stories of uh, perseverance. And I just found that touching as a young kid. Um, but then, you know, later on it was, Julia Cameron and the artist's way. It was um, Eckhart Tolle and A New Earth. Of course, Ram Dass, Be Here Now, and some of these philosophers and thinkers that just really inspired me to think beyond the trappings of our fearful mind. Mm. Boy, Amber, you went through, I mean, really, really traumatic stuff uh, from birth onwards, you know, for the first certainly 10, 12 years of your life. You're like one of the most positive people I've ever met. <laughs> like, how do you do it? Of course, you wrote a book about it, so we'll, <laughs> we'll learn more. But just in general, I mean, you know, how many people would have taken that s story, right, and turned it into something not so pretty? Many, many, mm -hmm. many people do from trauma in their lives. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, now, I, I, I know fully that karma plays a big role. This was perfect for you to be born into this at that moment with your mother and to get that name, and it all seems very appropriate. But from your inside view out, what, what do you have to say about that? Well, I think it's twofold. One, my mom was the fiercest form of love, unconditional love and encouragement, but also boundaries. And so... She was just, I mean, she was just a powerhouse. And so I was lucky, you know, my mom, I was watching her build a business. She was my best friend and I was there alongside with her. And I think because of what, you know, happened that, that had her be even fiercer in her love. And so she was just the most devoted and was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to be mother and father and all of it. And my grandma was very involved as well. So I think that that connection with my mom and my mom, you know, she was, she was a bit of a rebel because I don't think she grew up with a, a whole lot of, you can do whatever you put your mind to. Like that wasn't her, uh, her upbringing. And so from, as a kid, she was just constantly encouraging and being like, okay, where are you curious? Let's cultivate that. Mm. Um, here's how we start a company. Like it was just like, we, I felt like we were almost, yeah, we were like playmates together in a way. 
And so I think that relationship was so deep and so fundamental and filled with so much love that that contributed a lot. I will say though that, you know, I, I feel like part of my conditioning, which I think was cultural uh, for sure, is that, you know, I thought I had to be happy and positive all the time in order to be loved. And so some of the conditioning that I had to separate from was being a positivity-aholic, where it was like, you know, I remember going into a different room and by entering that room, I would be like, okay, change your mood. And while like, you know, there's like some benefit to being able to shift your mindset, I also think that it's important to embrace, allow uncomfortable quote unquote, any emotion that isn't quote unquote positive to, to move through our system as well. And there's so much value and in, in power and feeling the depth and breadth of emotion. And so a big learning for me in my early twenties was holding space for all of it. And that involved, I think, feeling a lot of like, I didn't realize I was holding on to grief around loss until my mid twenties. And that kept showing up in these romantic relationships with men where either they didn't want to be emotionally involved or I was emotionally, like if they were into me, then I wasn't into them. You know, it was there, these different patterns were showing up and I was like, where's this coming from? Um, and realizing it was coming from stories about abandonment that were unconscious. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that the positivity is good. And my mom was such a force for that. And let's feel all the feels as well. Mm. By the way, Forbes has called Amber Ray a <laughs> millennial motivator. I love hmm. that term. I saw that <laughs> in one of your things. So all you millennials out there, this is Amber. She's the Pied Piper, okay? <laughs> and the book is so wonderful because just the way it's done, you know, and it it's actually it kind of reminds me a little bit of Be Here Now with the artwork, you know, suggesting this, that, and the other. So, But uh, I will say that... Um, just right in the beginning of the book, you talk about your commitment to living a life uh, that's <laughs> true over one that's comfortable. Uh, that is the, in my mind, most important thing for anybody who, <laughs> who gets any kind of wind that, wow, there's a path. There mm -hmm. definitely is a path. And... Uh, makes a commitment and that's what that commitment is you know who said uh on Mar dr martin luther king day uh lebron james right who i love lebron james but this yeah. was like uh uh he said about dr king the thing i like most about dr king was how comfortable he was with discomfort mm. isn't that cool yep i love that yeah and that's uh, that's a large part of uh, you know what you're trying to transmit in different ways in this book, which is absolutely fundamental. And um, I mean, we could, in terms of like talking about suffering, which you talk about in the book. Uh, Ramdas has said many times, uh, suffering brings me closer to God and what that mm. and you know and you have talked about it in terms that I like to work with as well and I work with the likes of Jack Cornfield and other Buddhist teachers and that's like cozying up a little bit rather than running your ass away from uh, you know what is this great discomfort I mean you have actually uh, you quoted somebody which was really well, if I can find it quickly uh, was it Rumi, the guest house? That's fantastic, right? That's yeah. really fun. Oh, okay, I got that right here. I'm going to read it. Yeah. I love okay. reading Rumi. <laughs> I, yeah, me too. So, Rumi, this being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently, violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark mm. thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent 
as a guide from beyond. I don't even remember mm. that one. It's so great. I'm so happy you put that so wonderful, <laughs> really. Yeah. But let's talk, all right, let's talk about the uh, title of the book a little bit. We mm. talk about Choose Wonder Over Worry. Now, my mother was the world's greatest worrier ever. So she gave me that. I'm quite happy for the... <laughs> Uh, for this wondrous opportunity to uh, to deal with that uh, in my life. Fortunately, uh, I had the good fortune, of course, of being in India with Ramdas when he went back the second time and meeting Neem Karoli Baba. So uh, I understood from that point on that this was just, okay, play, the, play this karma out and I can yeah. be less involved in the reactivity, less involved in the feeling of the permanence of each little worry in this case so uh, certainly uh, you know much more spaciousness uh, is involved here for me after the all these years uh, but but that is a day-to-day syndrome for most people and mm-hmm. uh, so everybody knows about that but let's define wonder mm-hmm. okay talk about what that really means what where's that perspective coming from so in terms of, of this book and even where worry and wonder came from, my awareness journey really began when I was noticing, identifying the different characters inside my head. And so I brought to life or these different voices. So I brought to life these different characters in our head where it was worry, the voice of our inner critic, or the voice of that anxious, who am I to do this? What will they think of me? Is it going to work out? And on and on and on. But I also identified alongside worry and actually even getting curious about worry that there was another voice and that was, that was wonder to me. And wonder was the voice of that curious inner guide that was nudging us both outside of us in the direction of, ooh, that's, that's interesting. Go there. Ooh, I feel curious about this. Or, hmm, that resonates or speaks to me. But also wondering about the world inside of us. Why do I feel that way? Where is that coming from? And wonder, I think, is this beautiful gateway to self-discovery, self-expansion, and then also appreciating the awe of the world around. Mm. Intuition. A part of intuition, that. absolutely. So wonder is almost like that in, that intuitive inner knowing. Mm. I, I think of her. Mm. Uh, a, a term that we use that uh, Ramdas has brought up in the last years as we do these retreats in Maui with all of our Buddhist friends and so on is uh, they have, of course, a practice called loving kindness, metta, mm. which Sharon mm-hmm. Salzberg is so well known for. But Ramdas came up with loving awareness. Mm. So it 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 is connected to what you're saying, which is opening up spaciousness. Everything has an opportunity to uh, connect with you in the way that needs to be connected with you, uh, mm-hmm. and curiosity, all of that. And I I think that. Uh, it's it's a it's a very very necessary thing to shift for people to learn how to shift out of this thinking mind this is who i am you know mm-hmm. the mask the roles the identities and all of that and actually shift it into a, your wonder place or ramdas's okay. loving awareness place where there isn't this intense judgment you talk a lot about that in the book as well intense judging place and uh yeah i would say that's a a great goal for people to be able to shift that perspective into this other place which it allows for freedom to be in any way possible from the Mm -hmm. tyranny of um you said i finally stopped taking worry so damn seriously when i learned to see what it really was just a block you call it a blocking device a mechanism in our brains that's designed to keep us from doing anything too risky, risky or uncomfortable, mm-hmm. right? and so, yeah, yeah. Talk about that a little bit. Some of the methodology that you can actually use to move into that place out of the, of course, the little, the worry. yeah, the little worry the or the wonder. or mini me. That's what I like to yeah. call. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it was you know worry, of course, is is loud anytime I'm about to do something interesting, meaningful, novel, something I haven't done before because worry hates the unknown. And that, you know, came from a survival 
instinct. We have this threat mechanism system in our brain. Anytime we're about to do something dangerous, it's like, hey, watch out, which has its use. Again, it's why we're here today and or part of why we're here today. And it can block us and prevent us from taking the sort of meaningful risks that will have us connect to that truth within us. And so it was a becoming aware of that. And I think it's, it's important to distinguish between worry that's useful and worry that's toxic because, you know, it's not, how do I get rid of my worry? All worry is bad. It's no, actually worry can have you back off from the edge of a mountain. Worry can have you, if you're not preparing for a big talk next week or a big deadline, worry might say, Hey, this is important. Let's go. Or, you know, maybe someone in your family has has a disease and it may have you watch what you eat or t- take better care of yourself. And so that's where worry can be useful because it's productive and within our control and something we can take action on. But it's, it's again, it's those toxic worries that can spin and spin and spin and prevent us from moving forward. And so one of my favorite tools is actually to, to greet the worry with wonder, which it's to, let's say I'm worried about who am I to do this? What will they think of me? You know, I can say to that worry, okay, well, where is this coming from? Where did I learn that? Um, where did I buy into this story and even get to the source of that story? So I, you know, I remember there was this moment in fifth grade where this, this little boy told me, I was telling, I was telling a story and the little boy told me, no one cares about your story, Amber. This isn't the Amber show. (laughs) You know, and, and that had a long standing impact on my life where I noticed anytime I was about to tell my stories, like, who are you to do this? Don't say that. Like, what are people going to think of you? And so it's, we can wonder about where are the origin of our worries come from and through that awareness can create liberation and freedom. And so, you know, it's, it's both going to, going to the root and also wondering what's even more true than what we're telling ourselves. So maybe, you know, what will people think of this as a worry? But a wonder is, but I'm here to learn and grow. And that's what actually even, in, even matters more. Mm. So I like to, that's like where the reframe, it's like, okay, thanks, worry. What else? Yeah. What else? Yeah. You know, and just beginning to get your brain to think about uh, what else is possible there. Mm. And also just asking myself, sometimes I'll just say like, is this useful? Is it useful for me to think that my voice doesn't matter or my story doesn't matter? No. You know, we don't, we can analyze and that can be useful. And I think it gets to a point where overanalyzation can actually, again, stifle us and prevent us from taking action. That's a good one, though. Is it, is this useful? Is this useful? Yeah. <laughs> and a great sense of humor, I think, is really important. I use that. That's my personal uh, mm. methodology when I have any of these thoughts. Uh, and I just, wow, oh, ha. That's incredible. <laughs> wow. Oh, the dramas we can stir up. Like, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, really. Oh, where did that one come from? You know? Uh, totally. Yeah. Uh, what um, I tell this story too often because it's so great. Yeah, I don't know. Do you know who Adi Ashanti is? A great uh, non dual teacher? Oh. No. Okay, everybody. Okay. <laughs> I'm telling Amber Ray, go get his book. Uh, he's got a number of books. Um, something like Dancing with Emptiness. Jeez, I can't remember the exact title because I'm on the spot, but Adi Ashanti. So in this book, he talks about when he was a small child, he just couldn't understand these people, adults, and they they seemed to go through all kinds of crazy ups and downs and emotional outbursts and anger and this, that, and what he's just like what is going on and as he started he got a little bit older he, he at one point he said to himself oh i know what's going on these people actually believe their thoughts that's what's going on mm, yes and then from there he he started doing a very intensive meditation practice all through his teenage years and that's a whole other story which you can find in the book uh but uh the way in which that happens and each one of us are so invested, uh, you need a crowbar, right, to get any leverage over this. And, uh, and that's why we, we do talk about practice a lot, you know. I mean, without that, you can't change those neuros that have these habitual tendencies and uh, terribly neurotic tendencies. And stories, that story. And you talk yeah. about 
uh, beliefs and stories grip our lives in powerful ways, something happens, we draw meaning from it, and that interpretation impacts how we feel and what we choose to believe about ourselves and the world. Mm-hmm. That is the most uh, intense um, work for us, is how to really uh, cut through our our these tentacles that grip us Mm -hmm. with who we believe we are maybe talk Mm -hmm. about that a little bit in terms of your own experience yeah i mean you had i'm sorry to interrupt but you had you know these stories that you have as a child as i said earlier in this conversation could have really destroyed you i mean Mm. as, as a human being and given you so much so many complexes so many stories that uh, mm-hmm. God, some many people would not have been able to put one foot in front of the other. So, um, uh, kudos, you you know you have done. I mean, again, you have a certain karma. I can tell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, and that's a large part of how this all works. But still, you've done the work, and you know, mm. how, how have you dealt with those stories? Yeah, I'm reminded of what one of my favorite poets in Q says is that we will always find the evidence for what we choose to believe. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the the big aha moment for me. And it, it, for me, it came through love and me getting into relationships where I was, I remember like, you know, like college boyfriend breaks up. I am unworthy. I'm not worthy of love and all these dramas that I was creating, which then again, the became the story that I was telling myself, which became the life that I created. And that it took my, until my mid twenties for me to be like, wait, where is this, where's the story of not being lovable coming from? And it was from, oh, well, because my father left, I unconsciously created a story that meant I love, believe me, that I will be abandoned. And so I, for me, the tool has always been, again, born during curiosity of like, is that, is that true? And it took, it took, um, with that one, I mean, there was like a lot of unpacking, a lot of journaling. I journal every day. I have filled probably thousands of journals, hmm. a lot of unpacking there. But also the big thing was I, I did a psychedelic journey um, of ayahuasca. Hmm. And hmm. that was profound and really rewiring this story in particular, because in the journey, my father came and he told me, you know, I've been watching over you. And I've been living in this in-between space and it's time for me to transition on. But what I want you to know before I go is that you will never leave you. You will never leave you. You will never leave you. And so what I, that was like, like, of course I'm hysterically crying in this journey. And then he flew away like an eagle. And I, it's interesting because I, I like felt him almost transition, I don't know where, but transition somewhere. Uh, but it was the realization that I was always making it about, oh, they'll leave me, but no, I won't leave me. And so as long as I won't leave me, then no matter what happens outside of me, like, yes, it, it could be a painful, you know, there's going to be loss, but I will always be here for me. Okay. Who's you that's not leaving? That's a good question. Um, I mean, the vessel that I'm in or just, ooh, 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 question. Who is not leaving? I, I, I can see it, by the way. It, you can see I it? I can see it in your eyes, the <laughs> you that doesn't leave. The soul. Mm. The soul won't leave. The, the spirit, the essence. Mm. I mean, this is the vessel that that essence just gets to live in. Mm. But, yeah, that's, that's going to stay. Yeah, yeah. And... Love. I mean, that's what Love. what I got when I met that particular being. Was th- there wasn't anything else, and unfortunately, it's a shit word, like a lot of them, because <laughs> it it you know it doesn't say it. You know, it's ineffable, really. It's it's not mm. like that uh, ayahuasca trip. There are things about that you could never describe. You can, you know, mm-hmm. there's no way. There's an ineffability to it that makes it what it is, you know? Oh, by the way, uh, I found, uh, it's Cheryl Strayed. Do I say oh, that? I'd never oh, heard oh, of her. Yeah. Oh, she's amazing. Yeah? Yeah. I should do a podcast with her. Definitely, uh, definitely. Um, but we all have an invisible, terrible someone, and we must find a way to work with these people. I love the way <laughs> she says that. 
Yeah. And that's back to, uh, well, you know, it would be a fun, tell the story of inviting Mara to tea, which is a lovely, lovely story. Good for everybody to hear. Yes. And I mean, that's what she's speaking to there yeah. is that we have this invisible, terrible someone. And why don't we invite them for tea? Or I like to think a glass of Pinot Noir. <laughs> and it's in that invitation of, oh, I'm going to bring like, so when I was writing my book, it was the perfectionist who was like, oh, you can't say that. They're going to judge you. And so finally I was like, at first I was like, bitch, go away. And then I was like, okay, no, no. I'm going to invite you for tea or a glass of wine and let's have a chat. And it's just inviting the discomfort and the shame and the perfectionism and the not enoughness or whatever these, these come and go fleeting emotions in this human experience, invite them in for a tea as an honored guest. Because again, remembering each guest has been sent from beyond. And often, like I'd say my biggest, um, the biggest thing that supports me is just acknowledging them. I'm like, oh, hey, I see you. You're here and you're welcome here too. And sometimes that simple act of noticing and acknowledging is enough for them to like almost be, it's almost like sometimes I'll be like, oh, shame, I see you. And shame will be spooked of like, whoa, you spotted me. <laughs> and um, that acknowledgement can get them to just, you know, release their grip. Or sometimes there's a really useful message. I remember I woke up on my 30th birthday and I felt really sad. And this was confusing because I was like, birthday, happy birthday, like let's celebrate. Um, and instead decided to invite sadness for tea. And sadness told me, we journaled. And a few pages into journaling, sadness told me that I was playing small and she was sick of it. And it was time for me to, to write the damn book. And I like to say that the reason why my book is on bookshelves is because I had that conversation with sadness. Mm. And so if we invite them in, we acknowledge, we have a conversation, we understand what message they have for us. There can be a lot of wisdom and in, in, in gifts in that versus, you know, pushing them away, pushing them away or hearing them knock at the door and never answering. They're not going to go away. It's just open the door. And then you can choose like how deep how long you want tea to be because maybe it's a 15 minute tea date and then you're like thank you for, it's time for you to go now because mm -hmm. i think that level of boundaries is important too yeah and when we talk about making friends we're talking about being able to sit uh, and this is my little ad advisor on something that i do is to be able to sit quietly and just mm. empty out the mind and just have that one particular emotion or negativity, whatever it may be, allow it to rest there. Mm -hmm. People actually think, I better make a cup of tea and I'll put it out there. You know, it's the cup of tea is the generosity to allow this part of human condition to, mm -hmm. to rest quietly with you. And it takes the sting out of because it's the resistance that's the sting and the reactivity mm. which continues this on and on and on. And not easy to do, which is again why, you know, we suggest on Mind Rolling and the other Be Here Now podcasts where we have some of the greatest meditation teachers uh, in the West. Uh, and that's important. It's a practice that's important that allows you to be able to to uh, share a cup of tea with a really mm -hmm. not so fun negative emotion, right? So, um, yeah, another very important thing, along with, I love your, your uh, three C's too, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, uh, courage, curiosity, and compassion. Talk about compassion. that because the, the, that's a, a necessary ingredient in this brew of, uh, you know, getting from worry to wonder. And that's what I think of the three C's as wonder sidekicks. And this is to support us in making that shift and really in navigating any challenging emotion, which is first courage, which is the courage to go there to feel it. And, ooh, this is uncomfortable. Ooh, I don't want to go there. But courage says we're going to go there anyway. And remembering that courage is not the absence of fear because it takes, it requires us to feel discomfort and fear in order to even call on and invite courage. So courage is what takes us there. And then curiosity is sort of our investigative sidekick. It's, ooh, interesting. I wonder why I feel that way. Hmm, where's that coming from? Or where do I feel it in my body? Like, oh, I'm feeling some discomfort. Where is it? And was there something that triggered it? And just beginning to, to investigate and understand where it's coming from. And the third is compassion, which it's, you know, so key to remember that we're human, we're flawed, we're 
going to go through and have troubling times and that despite that, we're doing the very best that we can. And so having compassion for where we are rather than thinking we should be somewhere else and having compassion for the level of where awareness of the people around us. Hmm. For ourselves too, boy, that's an important thing, right? I mean, yeah, oh, absolutely. Probably the, for ourselves first. Yeah. Which is the most difficult people to have compassion for ourselves. Yeah. Right. Yep. It's, much easier to just complete, and you talk about this in the book, just down yourself left and right. It becomes a little bit of a party favor, actually, after a while. It's kind of, you know, it's like you get used to that. And to change is to get out of a comfort zone, which is why, you know, being comfortable with discomfort, that, that's a good, good thing to ponder. Um, let's talk about love Okay, because I've got a problem with it. <laughs> you have a problem with it? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you one little story. Uh, when we were in India, we were 20 to 25 mostly. Ramdas was older. And uh, we were all hooking up, right? And Maharaji, you know who I mean when I say that, Neem Karoli Baba, the man in the blanket from Be Here Now, mm-hmm. the guru he would encourage this and people got married and so on. So there was one couple that had hooked up and they had a fight and split up in the moment. And the guy came, you know who Krishnadas is? Krishnadas the chant guy. Oh, okay. Okay. You would like Krishnadas the chant guy, Amber. (laughs) Uh, Anyhow, he was there with one of our mentors, and the mentor, who, uh, his name was Dada Mukherjee, said to Krishnas, you know, uh, so this person came to see me, and he was literally in tears because he had just had a fight with his girlfriend, and they kind of broke up. And he looked at Krishnas, and he said, can you imagine? That's a business. He's in business with, mm. with, with Neem Karoli, the guru, it's unconditional. There's no business. You don't need to be doing anything to be loved. There is no business, which is that incredible experience we never had with anybody else when we met this, this uh, being. And, and so that's where uh, I, you know, the business of love and why I said love is such a shit word because it, it's about business. What's your take on, on that? I mean... You know, even yeah. even with parents and even, I mean, your mother, by the way, wow, your mother, your mother's what the Dalai Lama calls the savior of our future. Mm. Mm-hmm. That the mother who gives unconditional love and surrounds you the way you have described your mother completely surrounding you in that, that's to me so obvious why you're able to cut through uh, very very difficult stuff hmm. so uh, you know that's uh, a little bit more unusual than most people and and i know mm-hmm. you know that because of uh, yeah. everybody that uh, you're friendly with we all have that uh, experience so uh yeah what what do you what are your thoughts love is a business love is a business you yeah i'm only gonna love you if you if you love me back right yeah why am i gonna love you if you don't love me back yeah, I mean, I think that's one frame, and I think that's a frame that would probably like why do so many relationships end in divorce? It's because it is that contractual love, yeah. that conditional love. Yeah. I think, you know, I feel blessed that probably because of my mom's modeling, the person I'm actually marrying soon in two months. Oh, congratulations. Um, thank you. I, I mean, and truly, I feel like, and it was from the moment I saw him and met him, I knew that. Like that's when I, I didn't. I don't think I knew, knew I believed in past lives until I met him because I was like, we clearly did not meet in this lifetime. Mm. It felt as if we had known each other for thousands of years, and we got to love each other in this lifetime. And so, it all it wasn't even there. I don't feel like a business was a part of it. It was just like a whoa, a knowing of wow, I get to love and be loved by you, and what an honor that is. Mm. And so. You know, I like to think that that's possible. And of course, relationships, there's fights and there's drama and there's challenges and they're the, the greatest mirror 
for you to see yourself, to see your own false beliefs and just look and go deeper. And so that's how we approach our relationship as, as this mirror and this opportunity to walk deeper into truth hand by hand. Mm. I got married, uh, uh, Ramdas actually married me uh, and my wife 10, Jesus, 10 years ago, I think. Uh, and he all, his thing is always to say, okay, marriage is a triangle. So there's you and uh. your partner on the bottom. And at the top is God, guru, true self, uh. whatever you want, every name, Buddha, anything, whatever you have. And that that's the constant mirror that you spoke of that is there to allow transformation to be free. That's the purpose in there. And so that you make that contract to obviate the day-to-day hustling <laughs> back and forth yeah. to get what you want contract, right? Which is the yeah. business part of it. But yeah, so I, I think you've already got that. And uh, that that's the only chance for any of this stuff to work. And karma is yeah. karma. I mean, out of all the people Maharaji married, there's one left, one couple out of all of them. Oh, and you wow. think he knew everything about our lives, past, present, and future. And it was just quickening of the uh, karma, you know, mm. just quickening. And uh, so, um, yeah, the, the search for unconditionality in relation to others is, is a, to me, the purpose for really being here. Otherwise, how can mm -hmm. we give anything to anybody if there's conditionality and judgment mm -hmm. and all of that? So I, I think it's a worthy, worthy cause. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, I, and by the way, and I, I'm not saying I don't believe in marriage or relationships at all, but I believe the awareness to, the, to yes. that is very important. You know, so. Yeah, and it, in my relationship, it was interesting because I feel like he was very unconditional from the beginning and was this space for, he was like the container for me to explore and play and be fully myself and to express all that wanted to come through. He's mm. incredible. Um, and I was the conditional one. And I was like, yes, oh, yeah. but, but if you, in the, a mentor of mine illuminated this where I went on this long walk with him and I was like, but and I was, you know, complaining about certain aspects of the relationship. And he paused me and said, I just have one question for you. Is your love for Farhad conditional or unconditional? And I was like, uh. where I realized that I was creating conditions out of, again, fear of abandonment. And so it took me, again, seeing that the conditions I was placing on him were the conditions I was placing on myself. Mm. And he was, again, that mirror for me to, it started with, okay, well, the judgments I'm putting on him are judgments I have about myself. Right. And so let me start there. Yeah. And as I shifted it within myself, of course, it shifted how I showed up in the relationship. Mm. Mm. You have good samskaras, which means good karmic proclivities you do. <laughs> You're something else, Amber. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. Um, one other thing you bring up, and it, it actually... I had to invite that demon in to have a cup of tea, uh, as we put it earlier. Shame. Mm. I actually, so, and this happened quite some time ago, but it was like a bad childhood trauma. And mm. I was living some childhood trauma when, uh, as it happened, which was, I had a record company, uh, a, a, an independent label, uh, you know, that... Uh, when the record business went out of business in the early 2000s, <laughs> that's when we left that. Uh, but basically I was in a meeting with all of, you know, the executives of all the different labels. It was a conglomerate of labels and they were going over the results of the past quarter or whatever and looking into the next quarter. And, and we were in a bad moment, you know, the wrong product getting out there as they called it, meaning, records that weren't selling mm. and uh and they went around the room and all these people are going well yeah we just sold three gazillion of this or that and it got to me and 
all I could say was something that would be highly uninteresting to these executives and, in fact, almost to the point of what the shit are we carrying these this label for? And mm. I'll never forget, I felt so bad, so mm. ashamed. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I was an adult. Plus, I had been doing all this work for quite some time. And then I got, how, wow, I am really invested in this as an identity. This is who I am. Wow. You know, I went through yeah. a whole thing around that. But talk about it a little bit because uh, you'd really do go into this. This is. Uh, yeah. And it's a similar story where a project had failed. We ran out of money. I like disappointed a bunch of people. And, you know, shame is the difference between I failed at that thing. That thing didn't work out or I messed up to I'm a failure. I'm a mess up. I'm a screw up. I'm not worthy. And so shame is what has us when we're over identifying and over personalizing with the things that we create or the things that we do. And we make it a representation of our self-worth and our identity, that's when shame can really, you know, take over. And I, especially in New York, you know, when people's, (laughs) of all places, when people's ambitions are not going well, that evokes enormous shame, particularly because people's, so much of their work becomes their identity. And so if if business isn't going well, I must be a screw up versus like, oh, this isn't working. Like, so let's adjust the thing rather than adjust and focus on the self. Hmm. Yeah, we have to remind everyone, don't we? You are not your work. You are not yes. your uh, identity as a family person. You are not the mother, the father. You are all of those things, but the more that you identify there, boy, the more loss that, that you can get. Yeah. You are Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, this is a lot of Ram Dass's work over the years because he was a psychologist and then a you know, major psychonaut in the, in the 60s and 70s. And then his experience with an enlightened being and all of that allowed him to really uh, elucidate this f- for everybody. And um, it, and you are saying many of the same things that he's been talking about, that Eckhart's been talking about for, for all these years. So mm-hmm. um, we can't close this without wisdom because mm. that's how the, the oh know, yes you know, oh yes <laughs> um so yeah talk about uh, i'd like you to talk about it i'll talk about what it means to me but yeah well and you know in the book choose wonder over worry a big part of it i spend on on worry and wonder and even the title is a bit of a wink because it's not worry versus wonder. It's not compassion versus shame. It's not curiosity versus fear. It's holding space for all of it. And then I introduce the third W, which is wisdom. And wisdom is the ability to see all of it without attaching, without over-personalizing, without identifying, to see it and to really let, I like to think of it as almost like every part play a seat at the table of our heart. So we love all of it and we're able to access and act from that truer, inner, wiser, conscious place. Mm. And I like this little thing in the book. Um, It's a reverence for all of our contrasting and contradictory parts. Yes. That's a, I love that reverence because it is really like namaste, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> really namaste to to everything. Bow down before it all. Right? Yeah, I honor you. Yeah. I honor you. Yeah. I honor you. Whatever it is, I honor all of you. You talk about union. Union is when we welcome fear, sadness, grief, shame, joy, heartbreak, vulnerability, unworthiness to all have a seat at the table of our heart. A lovely way you put that. It's when we invite every part of us that we've denied, repressed, or abandoned to come forth and join it. Not so we can fix it or make it better, overwhelm it, overcome it, but so that we can acknowledge it and embrace it lovingly for what it is, an aspect of who we are. When we do this, we tap into a wellspring of creativity, connection, vitality, and flow. And eventually, and there's... uh, this next part of this last part of the book to me is everything. And it's, I am home mm-hmm. because when I first, well, when I first met Ram Dass, he was my connection 
and he I've been saying this over and over to people talking about this people coming to the retreat meeting him for the first time and they say yeah I just looked into those eyes and <laughs> there was only me and him in the room and time kind of stopped and I just felt okay I was it's okay and I said yeah that's called home okay mm. and that's and when you talked about uh you, that ayahuasca thing and your father coming to and say you is never going anywhere mm -hmm. and to me it's that that's home mm -hmm. right that's the home that embraces everything mm -hmm. that's the home that gives a shit about other people not thinking about ourselves all the time and when mm -hmm. I, I went to india and i met this being and that was the f first th well the first thought in my head was oh that's what ramdas was all about he was a barker at the carnival for the real deal. Uh, and home, you know, just where, oh, you can just so let go mm -hmm. into this, you know, really warm pool that ultimate you, ultimately you do realize it's not outside, it's inside. So, yep. and uh, you bring this home in this book, Amber. It's not outside, it's inside. So I, I thank you for it. It's been really yes, great. Yes, thank you. Thank you. This is great. I so enjoyed talking with you. Same here. We'll have to continue. Hopefully, continue where, the combo. Yes. Where absolutely. are you? Where are you? I forgot to ask. That. In, in Brooklyn. Oh, you're As in Brooklyn. you may have heard, it's oh, it's five o'clock, so the train keeps oh. passing. No, I haven't. Oh, yeah, you haven't heard? Okay, no, good, no, good. No. I'm glad. <laughs> Can get a little noisy. Yeah. Right. Right. All right. Well, yeah. Brooklyn. Okay. Well. I'll have to think of something when I'm in New York. We'll we'll uh, get to meet or something. Absolutely. So uh, everybody, we're going to uh, you'll go to uh, be here now network slash mind rolling, and you will see the show notes, which will include uh, Amber's website, the books, and there's wonderful blogs that she's written that you can connect up with, and. Uh, you know. So Instagram, I love Instagram. You love Instagram. Very, okay, I got to get I, tons of you have to I like map the path of discomfort and sitting with it. I do all these like on, these charts and visuals around these concepts on, to make it super sticky and digestible. On Instagram. On Instagram, yeah. Okay. All right, everybody, we're going to give uh, the Instagram <laughs> handle. For, what is your Instagram handle? It's it's hey amber ray, h e y amber r a e. Okay. All right, everybody, we got to follow Amber A on Instagram. <laughs> and yeah, you follow Ramdas is on Instagram too. Follow him and we can connect yep. it all up, connect all the dots Perfect. up. So go to uh, beherenownetwork.com slash mindrolling. You'll have everything you need to hook up with Amber. And again, thank you so much, Amber, for being yes, here. Yes, thank you, thank you. We'll see you all next right. week, everybody. See you.